is Billy Bates, and thank you for tuning into my podcast. Any resemblance between events, places, and persons, living or dead, in this story is purely coincidental and a figment of your imagination. Like my mama said, you just dreamed that up and I'd be ashamed. Starview Acres The Greensboro, North Carolina neighborhood in which I grew up was a place where my friends and I ran as a pack when the school year was over. We took off our shoes for the summer months and didn't put them back on again except to go to church. In each house, mothers called out from the sink, Y'all go out and play, pointing to the back door. What that usually meant to all of us was, Let's get together and terrorize the neighbors. I grew up in a brick ranch house at the corner of Leland and Longdale Drives, almost directly across from the entrance to Greensboro Country Park. My parents, Bill Sr. and Hilda, built there in 1953 on land that had originally been the McNary Farm, and the new subdivision was called Starview Acres. Back then, Leland Drive was a dead-end street, and there were only eight homes on it. Most of the homes contained young parents with children our own age, with creative, wicked minds, and idle hands. This was long before most people on the street had air conditioning, and that presented us with endless opportunities to make trouble. We would take clothespins and clip on playing cards to our bike wheels so they would click loudly while we rode in a pack up and down the street and into the neighbor's driveways. The daily highlights of summer included at least one, and sometimes multiple, bike wrecks. There are photos of me at that age in shorts, and both legs are covered in scabs. On one occasion, my sister Joan was riding her bike on Leland Drive, and so was our neighbor, Carla Lafeda and the road was devoid of other bike riders and cars. Without even realizing it, they rode straight into each other and crashed. As was the usual pattern, they threw their bikes down in the middle of the road and ran home screaming and crying with skinned knees, elbows, and faces. After it got dark and before we had to come in, we would sneak up to open windows on neighbors' houses and stick the garden hose in the window and turn it on. The room where the water was pouring in was usually one or two inches deep before an unsuspecting neighbor discovered it and started yelling. Someone came up with the clever idea of sneaking up to an open living room window and blowing a police whistle to see everyone in the room nearly go through the ceiling, including an ancient grandmother who was playing Baptist hymns on the piano for the rest of the family. On these nights, my brother, sister, and I would return home and start up the driveway to our house to see our father waiting for us with a belt in his hands. At other times, we would see him coming out the back door and down the driveway to discipline us. I still remember the sound of that belt as he pulled it off from the loops in his pants. It was rare in those days to meet anyone who was not from Greensboro. Classmates in school with northern accents were ridiculed mercilessly. One night in the dead of winter, we sat down to the dinner table and my mother got one of her all-knowing looks on her face and announced to us, Well, I met our neighbors at the end of the street today and they are from Pennsylvania. Upon saying Pennsylvania, she put her hands to the sides of her mouth and whispered the word as if it were profanity. She proceeded to say, I met the wife, Phyllis Russell, who seems nice enough, but you know, she's got that awful Yankee brogue. Every time she opens her mouth, it's like someone blowing a trumpet. You could hear her all the way out to Libby Hill Seafood Restaurant, which was miles from our house. The neighborhood children would get together and come up with all kinds of original games. At about the time Star Trek originated on television, we would all congregate in our backyard, get cardboard boxes, and draw spaceship controls on them. 
Someone came up with the brilliant idea of taking boys' underwear and putting them on our heads and looking at one of the leg holes and pretending they were space helmets. All of us except Cindy, who played Ohura, wore white underwear. Somehow Cindy managed to find a pair of black panties that I think belonged to her mother and wore those. This went on for several days until my mother, standing over the kitchen sink, called us and shouted out the window, Lord have mercy, get that underwear off your heads. You look like a bunch of white trash. That was the end of that. During the 1960s, the old Hollywood monster classics became popular on late night television. We were introduced to The Mummy, Dracula, Wolfman, Daughter of Dracula, and Frankenstein. All of the neighborhood kids became so enamored with the movie monsters, we started playing them ourselves. Because there were woods and a large lake at the end of Leland Drive, this was an ideal place for us to scare the living daylights out of each other. I was always Dracula and could do a fairly presentable Bella Lugosi accent. The neighborhood kids loved it when I would hold out my hand like Bella did in the movie and say, I want to drink your blood. I always wore a beach towel as my cape. One summer afternoon, someone called out from down the street, it's time to play monsters. I grabbed the towel, tied the ends together around my neck, and jumped on my bike to head down the street. I don't think I had gone ten feet when the towel caught in the spokes of the rear wheel and flipped me backwards off the bike where I landed face first on the pavement. My entire face was a scab for weeks. Although my parents were generally very strict, they did give us Leela away from time to time. My father, who could fix almost anything mechanical, devised a toy of sorts for us with which to play. We had a self-propelled rotary lawnmower, and Daddy got the idea of tying our wagon to it. We could then stand up in the wagon and ride in a figure eight around the backyard for hours. It ruined the lawn, and in our home movies where we appear in it, we look like absolute idiots, standing up in the wagon and holding onto the lawnmower, riding in the yard. But we were smiling. These were the days of almost no crime whatsoever, and back doors were left unlocked. The idea that anything could possibly happen to us running loose in Greensboro Country Park, which was right across the street, wasn't even on the radar. We would head down to the park on our bikes and ride to our heart's content. Sometimes we would get brave enough to ride through Forest Lawn Cemetery, which was a creepy graveyard that stood adjacent to the park. As we pedaled furiously out of the gates, we never dared look back as we were sure the dead with bulging eyes and grasping hands were chasing us. There were a number of ancient mausoleums there, and as we biked past them, we were sure it would only be a matter of time before the door opened and a withered, bony hand would reach around it, preparing to step out after us and a terrifying chase would ensue. In those days, it snowed regularly in the winter and Country Park was an ideal place to sled. Above the lake was a steep hill and the lake was divided by a strip of land that was about 15 feet wide that ran from one side to the other. It was perfect sledding if you went to the top of the hill, sled down, and finished up going out across the strip of land. On one occasion, I used a neighbor's disc sled but calculated my path incorrectly. I flew out from the top of the hill, landed smack dab on the frozen lake. My chin hit the edge of the metal sled and blood was everywhere. In the same predictable fashion that followed bike wrecks and other accidents, I threw the sled on the bank of the lake and ran home screaming for Mama. There used to be a lodge facing the lake there and it was usually open so we would go in and explore. One time several of us took a loaf of bread into the lodge as we had planned to feed the ducks later. But they had spotted us and a whole gaggle of ducks and geese ran into the door after us honking and quacking. 
Terrified, they backed us into a corner threatening to attack if we didn't hand over the bread. The child holding the treasure threw it across the room and we made our escape and headed on to the next adventure. When we were growing up, my mother's side of the family always got together on every major holiday. All of my aunts, my grandmother, and my mother would prepare sumptuous southern meals, and we stuffed ourselves to the gill. Each family took turns hosting. It was held at our house, we would finish the meal, and my aunts and grandmother would go sit in one room, and my uncles and grandfather would go sit in another room. I can still see them sitting there, the mantel clock ticking away while they discussed who had died, who was in the hospital, and who was going to be laid out in the funeral home during the coming weekend. If the weather was nice enough, all of the cousins would dash out the back door to play. Some of us definitely were a creative lot. One time we snuck some of Daddy's old clothes, a hat, and shoes out of the house. In the backyard, we stuffed them, then laid the dummy face down on the side of Leland Drive. We then stuck a knife in its back and poured ketchup around it. Then we would sneak into the backyard, hide in the bushes, and wait for a car to drive by. It didn't take long. Shortly after we got settled, Denny Wren, an elderly gentleman who lived down the street, drove by the dummy. The car swerved and he raced down the hill and turned into the driveway, barely avoiding his mailbox. We all dashed into the yard to the swing set and pretended to be playing. In minutes, my father came out on the back porch and yelled for us all to come in. As we walked into the kitchen, my mother was standing there with his hands to the side of her head and shouted, Y'all are going to put me in Camp Butner! Camp Butner was an insane asylum at the time, well known in North Carolina. Mama went on, Mabel Wren just called here and said Danny was a nervous wreck because he saw a dead man on the side of the road on Leland Drive. Somebody better speak up. It was just a prank, I volunteered. It's just a stuffed dummy. My other aunts and couple of uncles had come into the room. I heard the drawer where my parents kept the belt open and started for my room, but my father moved too quickly. I bet you'll think twice before you do anything else like that next time, little man, he shouted. My brother got it and then my sister. In the meantime, I saw belts come out of my aunt's purses and the familiar sign of <laughs> of my uncles taking off their belts. Soon the entire house was filled with screaming and crying and threats like, you'll get it again when we get home if you do anything else. Happy Easter, Happy Thanksgiving, and Merry Christmas all rolled into one. Halloween was another time we couldn't stay out of mischief. A few of the neighbors got to the point where they wouldn't even come to the door if they knew it was one of the neighborhood children. The elderly woman who lived behind us would put a bowl on the front porch with a note that said, please take one and leave the rest for the other children. One year, one of the children on the street went trick-or-treating with us and she was dressed up as a fairy princess. She couldn't have been more than five years old. The four of us walked up on the porch to see the bowl and note sitting on a chair. The fairy princess picked up the bowl, dumped the entire contents into her trick-or-treat bag and said, crazy old bat. One of the candies the neighbor who lived beside us gave out were those nasty, gluey candies that came wrapped in orange and black paper. After getting tired of getting those uneatable blobs every year, we got fed up and put a cherry bomb in their mailbox and blew it up. For some reason, we didn't get caught that time. One of my favorite Halloween stories, though, took place in our house when I was only one year old. My Uncle Ben and Aunt Laura, my mother's sister, had come up on Halloween to visit. Now in those days, where they lived far out in the country, they did not have trick-or-treaters as houses and farms were just too far apart to really celebrate Halloween. My parents shared this story with us years later when we could appreciate it. 
The door would ring. My mother would get up and go to the door, and the kids would shout, Trick or treat! It happened about five times, and my mother said every time she came back into the living room, my aunt and uncle had stranger and stranger looks on their faces. Finally, it happened one more time, and when my mother walked back into the living room, my uncle said, Who in the hell is Trick or Treat? It seemed that with each Halloween, there was a new adventure of some sort. One Halloween evening, my father would take the three of us trick-or-treating, and my mother stayed at home and answered the front door and distributed candy. As tradition would have it, we carved a jack-o'-lantern for every Halloween and set it in its special corner on the front porch. One year, we were returning home after making our evening's Halloween haul and noticed as we walked up the driveway, the house was completely dark. As we stepped in the back door, my father called out, Hilda, are you here? My mother very softly replied, I'm sitting in the living room. Walked through the darkened kitchen and dining room and into the living room where all the lights were out and there was just enough moonlight to see Mama. She was sitting in a ladder-back chair in her dress, heels, and pearls. In her lap, she was holding a baseball bat. Daddy said, what are you doing? Mama replied, some idiot purposely knocked the jack-o'-lantern off the porch as a prank. Although it cracked, I relit it and put it back. If they show up again, I'm going to crack their skull wide open with this. Mama never took prisoners. I was 19 years old, my brother 17, and my sister 15 when my father died unexpectedly. Soon after that weekend of his death, our Aunt Mildred would come up from Burlington on weekends to stay with and comfort our mother, who was struggling to cope. Aunt Mildred was the oldest of four sisters in that family and, like my mother, would not put up with any nonsense. Mama told us we were to mind her as if she were our own mother, and we did not like that one iota. One of us would come up to ask Mama for something, and Mildred would be behind her, shaking her head back and forth, with a frown on her face, essentially saying, Leave her alone. She would supervise us when we did the dishes, made us bring in laundry from the clothesline, and made us clean. All three of us gritted our teeth, but did as we were told. I have forgotten what the sleeping arrangements were at the time, but I do remember Mildred used Mama's bedroom. We decided to start playing tricks on her. Joan had a glow-in-the-dark skull, about the size of a fist that sported glow-in-the-dark white hair. There was a short hallway leading into Mama's bedroom, and you could walk in and not be seen from the other side of the room where the bed was. One night, Joan and I put that head on the end of a yardstick and stood in the hallway, but stuck the yardstick out so the skull could be seen from the bed. I started making groaning noises. It wasn't long before we heard Mildred go, Oh no! Oh no! Then she screamed, Somebody help me! Joan and I ran out, snickering, closed the door, threw the yardstick and head under the bed, and then raced to the kitchen and sat down at the kitchen table. We heard Mama go in the bedroom. Hilda, you should have seen it. It scared me to death. What was it, Mildred? It was a white floating skull right over there. I'll be right back, Mama said. My brother was out of the house at the time, so she targeted Joan and myself. We had quickly snatched up a pack of rook cards and pretended to be playing. What's wrong with Mildred, Joan asked. Were you two in her room, she asked pointedly. I said, no, we've been here playing cards. She must have had a bad dream. Mama echoed and turned on her heel and went back down the hall to the bedroom. We heard conversation about it being a dream and then things settled down. Another time, we caught four June bugs, tied thread to one leg of each, and then tied them to the tops of the posts of Mama's four-poster bed just before Mildred turned out the lights and got into the bed. Less than five minutes, we heard her yelling, Something's on me! What's on me? Get it off! Help! 
Help! This time we got caught and were punished. The alternative to getting spanked in that house was cleaning and working, and as my mother would say, until you can learn to behave. If I had to recall correctly, I think we had to wax and polish all the wooden floors in the house. We were so hard-headed and never thought about the outcomes of our pranks. When Mildred would get ready to drive back to Burlington on Sunday, two of us would race out and get down in the floorboard behind her back seat. We always waited until she packed the car so there would be less of a chance of her seeing us. As soon as she put the car in reverse and started to back out of the driveway, we'd jump up from behind the back seat and yell bloody murder. It's a miracle she didn't have a heart attack. And guess what followed? More punishment. How I especially loved dusk in the summertime. As soon as it began to get dark, the three of us would grab old Duke's mayonnaise jars and start trapping fireflies in them. Before long, we would have a personal lantern. And those long-gone summer days of an innocent childhood always remain with me. It seemed those summers would never end and would continue forever. Sitting in the swing after dark in the backyard and staring up at the stars was a miracle of sorts to me. I slept in a twin bed in the bedroom I shared with my brother, and my bed was right beside the window. Cicadas were so loud sometimes I could hardly fall asleep. Our next-door neighbors had two barks in the yard, and they barked all night. Sometimes the windows on our house would be open when it was especially hot. One night they stood at the corner of the fence outside my bedroom and outside my parents' bedroom. They simply would not stop barking. I heard the back screen door slam and looked out into the backyard to see my father in his boxer shorts throwing rocks at those dogs. My brother and I laughed hysterically about seeing that. The years seemed to pass so quickly that one day I looked in the mirror and I had become a young man preparing to begin college. Although a young adult, I carried and continued to carry those special growing up memories with me. I often look back on those innocent childhood days with great happiness and cherish the fact I got to spend them in Greensboro in a community that was safe and secure. Being allowed to experience the wonderment of growing up in a much simpler time with parents who gave me the opportunity to be a child and to dream and to play and to just be a little boy was magical. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in finding out more about me, my writing, and additional stories from my collection, visit www.billybates.com. That's www.billybates.com.